All right, we are continuing our study through the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 18. Uh, we are going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning. So if you can turn in your Bibles there, Acts 18 verses 1 through 8. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with, with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Thus ends our reading of God's extraordinary word. May all who hear it be persuaded that Jesus is the Christ. When I was a young Christian, really just a baby in the faith, I, I used to pray for the salvation of all the superstars of my day. People like Michael Jordan and, and Tom Cruise and Bands like Metallica and Pearl Jam. Um, I know I'm dating myself. Uh, but the, the, the reason I did this was because I thought that, it, that if they could get saved, well, then they could use their megastar influence to convince others about Jesus Christ. And while this sounds foolish, my, my heart's desire was really to see as many people as possible in God's kingdom. And that's something I still want to see, as many people as possible in God's kingdom. Yet I have become less and less convinced that the salvation of superstars is the plan that God has chosen to advance his kingdom. And yet, even today in many ways, I, I see this similar mindset among many, many Christians. Uh, a star comes to Christ and seems like everybody gets excited about it. And it's great for that star. Don't get me wrong. It is exciting. Um, but is that God's platform for the gospel to go forth? I mean, think about it. Think of some of the stars of our day. Chris Pratt, right? Justin Bieber. Kanye. You know, the, the, the Christian world went, went nuts when Kanye suddenly came out with his album about Jesus Christ, right? Um, and so when, it, when a celebrity seemingly joins our side, we, we, 
we think more of it than it probably really is. You see, what, what typically happens in, in cases like these is, is either one of two things. Either the superstar is not a true believer and promotes some form of a watered-down superficial gospel, or, or the superstar truly is a Christian, and yet the world turns on that superstar because of their newfound convictions which go against what the world truly wants. I mean, bottom line, God doesn't grow his kingdom through the use of celebrity. Rather, he does so, does so through low-key, consistent practices of everyday Christians. It is, it is through the ordinary deeds of ordinary people that the message of Jesus reaches the hearts and minds of those who are lost. And we see no better example of this than in our passage for today. Now, now when we last left off, where, where was Paul? He was in the city of Athens, right? He was bringing the gospel message to a city that was filled with pagan idols and, and with vain philosophies. And if you remember, he had, he had just successfully defended himself when he was on trial before the, the Areopagus, that, that ruling council of that city. And the reason he was on trial was because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. These were strange teachings that... that that these Athenians claimed went against the traditions of their city. And yet Paul demonstrated to these men that throughout their history, they had always had this longing for the one true God, only they didn't know who he was. That's why they, they created this altar, right? The altar to the unknown God. Now Paul was revealing to them who this unknown God is, and he was doing so through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And if you remember, there were, there were three responses after Paul gave his defense, right? There, there were some who scoffed, right, because he was claiming the resurrection. There were others who, who said, we will hear more about this. And so they were curious as to what Paul was trying to communicate to them. And then there was even still others who actually believed. They put their trust in Jesus. And they became Christians themselves. And all this leads us to our passage for today where, where Paul would travel to another major city in the province of, of Achaia. Another city full of Greek culture the city of Corinth. But before we go there, let's, there, there is one more thing that, we, that should be noted. If, if you remember, both Silas and Timothy, Paul's traveling companions, well, they were no longer with Paul, were they? They, they had chosen to stay in the province of Macedonia in, this, in the city of Berea. And the reason they had remained behind was, was to help establish that brand new church that was in that city. And though Paul had sent for them, they had yet to return to him. Now the question that we do have hanging in the air is where was Luke at this time, right? Um, and, and we're not sure. Luke doesn't tell us where he was throughout all of this. He, he, he tends to remain low-key throughout 
his, his, this book of Acts that he wrote, um, probably for good reason. Um, perhaps he was with Paul, perhaps he was with the others, we're, we're just not sure. But what this really does is this sets the stage for us for what we're about to see. Uh, as Paul, he makes his way to the city of Corinth in order that he can deliver the message of Jesus Christ to that city as well. And whether Luke was with him or not, what we're going to discover is that Paul wouldn't be doing this on his own. That he would find help in some unlikely characters. And this is what our author hopes to demonstrate to us in this passage. How the gospel goes out by the means of ordinary people as they fulfill different roles within God's kingdom. Let me repeat that. The gospel goes out by the means of ordinary people as they fulfill different roles within God's kingdom. Let's, let's look at our passage and see how this plays out. Look at verses 1 through 4. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, now, in order for us to fully understand what is going on here, we, we, we need to understand Corinth first. I mean, what was this city like? And, and who were the people whom Paul was now bringing the gospel to? Well, well Corinth was a large city roughly 50 miles to the, to the west of Athens. And it was the capital city of the province of Achaia. But not only that, it was a massive city. It had a population of roughly 200,000 people. Which at that time made it one of the largest cities in the world. But Corinth wasn't just a large city, but it was also an important city. You see, besides its, its capital status, Corinth was also located on an isthmus. I don't, I don't know if we have the map there, if you could pull that up. Uh, you see that the isthmus right there is right there. Um, and, and so that isthmus, what it did is it joined the, the, the northern and the, and the southern halves of this province of Achaia. And being on an isthmus, well, that meant Corinth had power. For any trade that went north to south or vice versa, it had to go through Corinth. But not only that, being, being on the isthmus also meant that, that Corinth was centrally, centrally located between two seaports. The, and these two seaports, they, they coordinated with one another by transferring shipments from one port to the other, which would save boats 200, roughly 200 miles of stormy sea travel. Basically, Corinth was in the middle of everything, right? And because of that, it was a city that profited greatly. It, it was a wealthy city. And yet there's more. For Corinth was also a hotbed for the worship of the Greek gods as well. 
There, there, there were temples and shrines to the gods of Apollo and Hermes and Heracles and Athena and Poseidon. And many would travel far distances in order to find healing from the gods of Asclepius and Hygieia. And yet the most significant cult that pervaded the city of Corinth was to the goddess Aphrodite. Now the goddess of Aphrodite was a goddess of fertility and of sexual pleasures. And she was also known as a matron goddess of all prostitutes. And with her temple being at the top of the Acropolis, basically the highest point of the city, the worship of Aphrodite was of central importance to the people of Corinth. In fact, it was said that, that, that in, in those days that, that Corinth probably had the most skilled as well as the most expensive prostitutes in the world at that time. There was even an expression that was popularized among the people that to Corinthianize was to engage in sexual immorality. All this, all this to say is that when Paul walked into Corinth, he was walking into a city where, where people could be constantly distracted by the darkness of this world. By all accounts, Corinth was not a city where you would expect the gospel to thrive. And yet it did. Why is that the case? Before we answer that, there, there's another thing of note about the city that we must mention, a, a detail that is important to our story for today. You see, every other year, Corinth would host its own form of the Olympic Games called the, the Isthmian Games because they're on the Isthmus, right? And, and these games drew people from all over Achaia. Some to participate as athletes, others to watch as spectators, and still others who basically wanted to make a profit, who wanted to sell their goods to all those who were inundating the city at that time. And yet, one of the greatest needs the city had when the games took place was, was finding housing for all these people, right? Where were all these people going to stay? When the city's overwhelmed with the crowds, where would they sleep? And that is where tent making comes into play. As well as this couple named Aquila and Priscilla. Now who were they? Well, who, Aquila and Priscilla, what does Luke tell us? Is that they were a Jewish couple who in the past had made their home in the city of Rome. The most powerful city in the world at that time. And so they knew about big cities. And they were tent makers by trade, which, which would have given them a steady stream of income, particularly in Rome, as there was always need for good quality tents by the Roman military. Now Luke tells us that Aquila was originally from Pontus, which was a city in the region of Asia Minor. And this is also important because this ties into the, the, the edict that we see from this Claudius. Now, Claudius was a Roman emperor at that time. And he had made a decree for all Jews to leave Rome. 
And this meant Aquila and Priscilla had to leave Rome. Now, now, what was this edict all about? I mean, when you think about it, how could the emperor declare such a thing? Well, there's, there's something that Luke, he, he thinks his, what, what Luke expects his audience to understand, we don't quite connect with today um, because we didn't live during that time. Basically, what was going on was, was in Rome, there was some forty to 50,000 Jews living in that city. And they, they were practically a large city in and of themselves. And so did Claudius really expect for them all to move out of Rome? Well, no. That's, that's not what this decree was about. Rather, what, what it was about was about getting rid of all the foreign-born Jews who were deemed as nuisances because of all the disturbances that they were causing in the synagogues. We get this from, from the words of a Roman historian, the a Roman historian Suetonius. Uh, he, he wrote concerning this matter, he said this, Since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, he, the Emperor Claudius, expelled them from Rome. And so who is this Crestus, right? Well, Crestus was just the Latinized way of saying Christos or Christ. Basically, this, this edict was about driving out all the Jewish Christians because they were teaching about Jesus and causing major issues within all the synagogues. In essence, Claudius was, was banning all Christian missionaries that had come to his city. And so when Luke says that, that all the Jews had to leave Rome, he's assuming that his readers would have known about this edict and the specifics behind it. But this tells us something about Aquila, does it not? That not only was he a foreign-born Jew, but, but he was also one of these disturbers of the peace. He, he was a preacher of Jesus. Now, now think about what this means. This means that the gospel had already made its way all the way to Rome. How? I mean, the furthest west that Paul has gone so far is, is right here in Corinth. Well, there's a number of possibilities, right? I mean, for one, Paul wasn't the only missionary that God had sent. Remember, there was also Barnabas and John Mark who went off to Cyprus. Well, where did they go after, after their work was finished in Cyprus? We don't know. Perhaps they took a ship straight to Rome. Option number two, there, there were the other apostles, men like John and, and Peter, men who, who took missionary journeys of their own. Option number three, we don't really know the full effect of Paul's ministry. I mean, who knows how many converts from the churches that Paul had planted received their own calling from God, who, who traveled to other cities being, bearing witness to Jesus Christ. And whatever the case, we, we see that the good news of Jesus Christ was being proclaimed throughout the face of the earth, and it had made its way into Rome. And yet because of the decree of Claudius, Aquila and Priscilla were expelled from that city and needed to find a new home. 
A place not only where they could live, but where they could once again have a thriving business. And this is where Corinth comes into play. For they were tent makers. And what better place to make a quick buck than in in the city of Corinth during the Isthmian Games. When there was this great need for housing. And yet Paul had gone down to Corinth as well. And probably for the very same reason. I mean, what better place to cast the wide net of the gospel than in Corinth during these games? And so we have this Jewish Christian couple making tents for the games. And along comes the Apostle Paul looking to bring the gospel message to these games as well who, by the way, just so happened to be trained in tent making. And so a partnership was formed between the two. And this partnership, it did two things for Paul. For one, Paul would now be able to earn his own keep in this new city. And this was probably necessary as as Paul had now been on this missionary journey for, for a very long stretch And I'm sure that his resources were running low. Not to mention as well, both both Silas and Timothy still hadn't caught up with Paul. And perhaps they were the ones who held the lion's share of the kitty. We don't know. Two, this this tent-making business, Paul was able to use this as a platform, as an inroad, if you will, with all those who were connected with these games. He would be able to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ with people from all over the province of Achaia. And so for this this short, brief period of time, Paul's ministry was built around secular work, built around this partnership with Priscilla and Aquila, And yet, just because Paul was now working mostly with Gentiles, that didn't mean he had forgotten about the Jews. For what else does Luke tell us? And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And so for six days a week, Paul kept kept himself busy with this trade, reaching out to those who were involved in these games. And yet on the seventh day, he would preach the gospel in the synagogue. Dear friends, I I hope you see what's going on here. The Apostle Paul, he was willing to do whatever it took to bring the gospel to those who were lost. And fortunately for him, God had placed both Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth. This couple who were dedicated to Jesus Christ and willing to partner with Paul in their tent-making business. And it was through this partnership that Paul was able to thrive in his gospel ministry. When when you consider the church today, I I think one thing that, that we lack is this greater connection to the world outside these four walls. There there are partnerships that, that we could be forming within our local community community that 
that would, that would advance God's kingdom greatly if we just make those partnerships. You know, whether this is with a business, like the example of Aquila and Priscilla, or, or in some other context, what we need to be doing is figuring out ways where we can have a gospel impact in other realms of society. And one, one example, I mean, consider, consider the group Young Life. I mean, there you have a ministry that has, that has an impact within our school system. Now, now as a church, we are, we are already giving to them to some extent, but, but how can we as a church become more involved in what they are doing? And in what ways can we aid them in order to make sure that they are successful? But it doesn't just have to be Young Life, for, for there are other partnerships that can also be formed. For example, what, what are the events in our communities that, that are drawing people to Oxford? And what partnerships must we form in order to bring the gospel to those events? Or how about in your own trade, in your own line of work? In what ways are you able to bring the gospel to the industry in which you serve? And these are the questions that we need to be asking. What are the partnerships that we should be forming in order that the gospel might go out to to the people around us? You see, Priscilla and Aquila, they they were just ordinary people, right? And yet they were having an extraordinary impact because of their partnership with Paul. And yet they weren't the only ordinary people whom God was using to do extraordinary things. Look look at verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And so Paul was once again reunited with his closest disciples, right? And with the return of Silas and Timothy, we we see that Paul was able to focus more on the study of the word. Whereas before he was focused on his evangelistic outreach through this tent-making ministry, now Paul was occupying himself with the study of the Word and reaching out specifically to the Jews. So what changed in this one short verse? Well, for one, the, the Isthmian Games probably only lasted so long, right? And so Paul's services were probably only needed for that limited time. Plus, with the arrival of his two disciples, Paul would no longer be strapped for cash, as they would have brought with them gifts from the churches in Macedonia. And we see this in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 7 through 9. This is what Paul says. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening burdening you in any way. You see, what Paul is describing here was his time in Corinth and how he was able to lead the church there and really establish it without charging them a dime. 
He did this first through his tent making, but after the, the brothers had returned, after Paul and Silas came back from Macedonia, Paul had once again been fully funded. And why? Because the churches in Macedonia gave generously. Paul was able to step away from his tent making and focus almost exclusively on building the church. And this was all due to the generous hearts of the believers in Macedonia, a whole province away. This speaks to the power of the local, local church, does it not? I mean, th- think, of, think about us. Here at, at New Hope Church alone, we have, what, roughly 20 households maybe? We're not, we're not big. And yet through the giving of those 20 households, you guys are, are not only able to support a full-time pastor, but, but you're also giving a, another 20 grand towards four different missionary causes. And, and, and the fruit of all of this is the growth of God's kingdom. We are not only seeing God move here in Oxford, but we are also seeing him move in places like Fairview, Michigan, Colorado, Thailand. Because of your generous hearts, you are having a kingdom impact around the globe. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And in our story for today, the the churches in Macedonia, they were having a kingdom impact in the city of Corinth because Paul was now able to focus full-time on his apostolic calling. And yet Paul's ministry was not without its challenges. Just like in every other city, he would find opposition. Look at verse 6. And when they opposed and reviled him, He shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. You see, just as Paul had had always done, he, he, he focused his ministry within the synagogue first. He went to the Jews. And yet the gospel wasn't being received well by the Jews in the, in the synagogue of Corinth. Luke tells us that Paul was opposed and reviled. Ba- basically what these men were doing was they were interrupting Paul's ministry by not allowing him to speak or to teach in their synagogue. But not only that, they were also accusing him of blasphemy for, for he proclaimed Jesus, this crucified man, as their Messiah. It is no wonder that, that in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth that he penned these words. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. You see, Christ crucified was a stumbling block to the Jews at Corinth. 
They, they did not like Paul's message. And that's because they did not like this Jesus. And so they attacked Christ's messenger with a vile, vile hatred. You see, just as Jesus went into hostile territory in order to rescue his people, so now we see Paul taking up his own cross, following his master across enemy lines. And just as Jesus was rejected by the world, so now Christ's servant was also rejected by the world as he brought the saving message of his Lord. But this is the cost of following Jesus, is it not? To be rejected, to be slandered. And we today should expect no less as we bring the gospel to the public square that we will be opposed and reviled just as Paul was. Just as Jesus was. Listen, there, there will always be those who refuse to listen. There will always be those who will be combative. And when the gospel is rejected in such a way, there is really nothing more that we can do. They are in God's hands now. And yet if you have proclaimed Christ, if you have shared the message of Jesus, then you are not responsible for anyone's salvation. That is not what your role is. Rather, that is the role of the Holy Spirit. Your responsibility is simply to declare the good news. And if you have done that, well then, just like Paul, you are innocent. For the truth has been proclaimed, and it is not you who they have rejected. Rather, they have rejected Jesus. The guilt is now upon their heads. Upon those who have denied their Messiah. You see, Paul had fulfilled his duty. He was innocent of their blood. For he had proclaimed Jesus to these men, and there was nothing more he could do. And so he would now leave the synagogue and move on to the Gentiles. But the question remains, where would he go? Who would give Paul a platform from which he could preach? Look at our last two verses. Look at verses 7 and 8. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And so here we see this location shift in Paul's ministry, but it didn't shift very far, did it? Here was this Gentile Titius Justice, and he had opened up his home as a place for Paul to preach, as a place for the church to meet. Since Paul could no longer teach in the synagogue, Paul would have to, have to find this different forum in order to declare the gospel. And in God's providence, the home of this Titius Justice just happened to be right next door to the synagogue. Sometimes I think God does have a sense of humor, you know. I mean, I can only imagine the Sabbath mornings there in Corinth as the Jews were heading towards the synagogue, how they probably would have been approached by the likes of Silas and Timothy as well as others. 
telling them that if, if they wanted to hear the true message of God's word, well, then come to the house of Titius. Because Paul's going to be preaching about Jesus Christ. And I have to imagine as well that, that Paul's outreach to the Gentiles would have also expanded. As these Corinthian Greeks would have felt more welcome in a house of one of their fellow Gentiles than they probably would have in that synagogue. And this is why we see the results that we do. The results of this new ministry location. And for one, we, we, we see that Paul was still having an impact upon the Jews, right? For we see this man named Crispus. He, he came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And not only was this man a Jew, but Luke tells us that he was the ruler of the synagogue. The one who, who oversaw all the events that went on in that Jewish community. He was one of their leaders. He had a great reputation. Or at least he had a great reputation, right? As we'll see when we get to our passage for next Sunday, the, that synagogue would find a new ruler in a very short time. So believing in the gospel came at a great cost for this man named Crispus. He had lost his position. He had lost his status within the community in which he grew up in. And yet this Crispus, along with his whole household, valued Jesus over all these things. He was now a Christ follower, a disciple. And he clung to the saving grace that can only come from the cross. And yet Crispus wasn't the only one who was affected, right? We see from this new ministry location that many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And so we see that God's kingdom was rapidly expanding among the Gentiles as well. For Paul was able to proclaim the gospel from this house, and people were hearing about Jesus and coming to saving faith. And this was all happening in one of the darkest pagan cities in the world at that time. And why? Because ordinary men like Titus, Titius Justice had opened up their homes in an act of hospitality. And this is just another way that we see God using ordinary people to have extraordinary impacts for his kingdom. It was through the hospitality of this Titius that many in, in the city of Corinth felt the welcomed embrace of Jesus Christ and were saved. In many ways, hospitality in America has become a thing of the past, has it not? Neighbors are really no longer seen as neighbors in the way that they used to be neighbors. People no longer open up their homes or have backyard cookouts where neighbors are welcome. 
In a recent Pew survey, it was discovered that only 26% of Americans say that they know their neighbors well. Only 26%. And while there's many reasons behind that statistic, it is a sad statistic, is it not? And yet when I, when I hear those numbers, I, I think to myself, opportunity, right? I mean, opportunity to be a part of that 26%. Opportunity to stand out in a world that has shut its doors to any type of real social connection. Opportunity to be a witness for Jesus Christ and to see God's kingdom grow. Oh, that we would be a church who has opened up our homes for gospel purposes. Perhaps to start a Bible study for the neighbors around us. Perhaps to... to to start a, a prayer group. Maybe just to develop relationships in order that we can be in that position where we can invite someone to church, where we can share the gospel with them. The question is, are we willing to be hospitable to open up our front door for God's kingdom? Corinth it was a city known for its power, known for its wealth, known for its prostitution, and yet there was a thriving church being formed right there. People were getting saved, and hearts and minds were being turned towards the things of God. And this was all done through the means of ordinary people doing ordinary things. Aquila and Priscilla forming a partnership with Paul in order to establish a gospel presence in their community. The churches in Macedonia giving from their own resources in order to free up Paul as he brought the gospel message to a whole different province. Tidius Justice being willing to open up his home in order to provide Paul a, a platform from which to preach and a place where both Jews and Gentiles would feel welcomed. I mean, consider your own salvation. Who was it that God used to bring the saving message of Jesus Christ to you? Did you hear because there was a partnership formed somewhere else? Was the gospel proclaimed to you because someone had given to a church or given to a mission? Were you welcomed into the kingdom because someone had opened up their home in order to welcome you? Perhaps it's through a combination of those things. My, my guess is that your salvation wasn't due to any superstar coming to Christ. No. Rather, rather Jesus worked through ordinary people to bring his salvation to you. And now he is asking you to do the same. You know, when, when I, I look at all of you here at New Hope Church, what, what, I, what I see is a bunch of ordinary people, right? Now, now you're all extraordinary in your own way. But, but you're ordinary people, right? There, there's no superstar here. Jesus is our superstar. 
But that's just it. You see, when we put our focus on the, on the greatness of men, we tend to take our focus off of the greatness of Christ. Off of what he did and still does for us. How, how he humbled himself by becoming a man and then living this sinless life that, that we couldn't live. How, how he died for our sins when he hung from the cross. And then in extraordinary fashion, how he rose from the dead, bringing victory to all those who turn from their sins and trust in him. How he now rules at the right hand of the Father until he shall come again in his glorious triumph. You know, is it any wonder that Paul also penned these words to the Corinthians? 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 31 say this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Who here is of noble birth? I don't see any hands. Right? But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let, no one, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Dear friends, he should be our focus and not some Christian superstar. And that is why God chooses to use ordinary people. Ordinary people doing ordinary things so that when the extraordinary happens, Christ gets all the glory. And so if we're going to boast, let's boast in Him. Because salvation is found in no other name. Let us pray. Father, we are so, so thankful that You have chosen to use ordinary means to bring your saving message to us. That your church is filled with ordinary people whom you have called to express your love and that they do so through common everyday deeds. And so we ask you now to help us in order that we may be these ordinary people that we might love the people around us in ordinary ways in order that we in order that they might see the love of your son and all that he did for us when he was upon that cross may all that we do be for the advancement of your kingdom may it be for the proclamation of your gospel we can only do this through the strength of your Holy Spirit. So fill us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.